0: Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Welcome back to Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources. So excited to be back for another week. I think I say that every time, and it's because I mean it. I just love... Getting this time with all of you. I wanted to um, first remind you that I have events every week. You guys know Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have Clubhouse and Instagram events. On Tuesdays, I have a What's Your Pivot Story room at 6 p.m. Eastern on Clubhouse and at 9 p.m. Eastern on Instagram Live. I do office happy hours. On Thursdays, I have a clubhouse room that I co-moderate as well, and it's at 7 p.m. Eastern, and it's called Navigating Your Career in the New Normal. So definitely be sure to check those events out if you are looking for more than just this podcast to connect with me. And those are live moments, so you can hear from me uh, in, in a real time, I guess you can say, instead of just over a recording. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Give me five stars if you're feeling, you know, good about it, and uh, otherwise, if you have any feedback, let me know. Let's get right into it. So this week, I wanted to, before even getting into the topic of the episode, talk about something that I had as a takeaway from... I guess it was last week or two weeks ago. And I sort of talked about this on the Instagram Live um, office happy hours that I had last week. But I've had some more time to think about it. And I, I should preface by saying, sometimes things don't work out. People don't work out. Employees don't work out, whatever it is, right? But I think I've always shared with you all that it's our reaction that we can control. It's the way that we react to situations that can determine, you know, what what the future holds, so to speak. And I, there was a situation that I was involved with, let's say, where someone burned a bridge. And they burned a bridge unnecessarily. I'll just say that. There didn't have to be a burning of the bridge, and I know I'm being vague because and like I said this on the Instagram Live, I'm being vague out of respect for the individual. But when you have an opportunity to react in a way that keeps someone in your network or keeps someone as a colleague potentially for the future or someone who could be a mentor, I mean, you, you have to think about how your actions or reactions could either ensure that happens or prevent that from happening and then ultimately burning a bridge. So if you are someone who reacts or if you are someone who has been on the receiving end of difficult feedback, maybe, I encourage you to really take a step back and process information before reacting. If someone is giving you a difficult message or sending you a difficult message or giving you feedback or even maybe even ending your appointment, whatever that looks like, you don't have to have answers. You don't have to have a reaction. You can really simply say, thank you for your time. I need to process this information. If I have any questions, I'll reach out. Boom, bada bing, bada boom, right? Like that's it. Um, But unfortunately, I was involved in a situation where things that could have gone that way didn't go that way. And uh, now that bridge is burned. For me, even in a professional setting, but Personally and professionally, if there isn't mutual respect, it's over. That's it's done. I am not going to waste my time. So, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate when a bridge is burnt um, out of uh, unnecessarily, but I think that there are ways to prevent that. So, if you are in a similar situation or you have been the person whose bridge has been burnt. I would encourage you not to feel bad about ending ending that relationship because if the person doesn't have respect for you, you don't need to waste any more time. Okay, now that we've gotten that off our chests, let's jump right into the topic for today. I know I've talked a lot about COVID and we're probably all tired of it, but there was something that recently came up on a clubhouse room that I was in around the impact of COVID on women. And it wasn't even necessarily the clubhouse room, but actually... The two women that I'm speaking with next week, and you all know it's the inaugural launch of my YouTube channel, and it will be on the podcast as well, of course, all podcast um, platforms, but I spoke with two women who are in the DEI space, and we spoke a lot about women and the impact women have had or the impact of the pandemic um, that, that has been had on women. And so I thought it was pretty... Interesting to dive into how women have been impacted by the pandemic. If you're not a woman or if you're not interested in this topic, you know, what I would say is that actually every single person, you guys have heard this so many times, has skin in this game. Whether you're a woman or a man, non binary, however you identify, everyone can relate to the impact COVID has had on our jobs, on our livelihood on our experience and work, so just keep listening, and I'm sure that there's a woman in your life who could benefit maybe from hearing this discussion. So, I wanted to bring up some facts and figures that maybe some of you are not aware of. The first is that the December job report came out in January of this year, 2021, and the December job report basically said these are the number of jobs that were lost in December, So there were 140,000 jobs lost in December in the U.S. alone. And what's so staggering about this figure is that every single one of those 140,000 job losses was held by women. So what does that mean? Let's break this down. When I say job losses, that's not like hiring and firing. That is literally cutting jobs, a.k.a. position elimination, so 140,000 jobs were no longer needed, and all of those jobs were held by women. Let that sink in for a second. So I'm getting this uh, information from CNN.com. I'll link everything, as I always do, in the podcast episode notes. And you know the thing is here is that these are net numbers, so really understanding the data is important, knowing that there were also men who lost their jobs is important to note as well. But net, net, when you look at it, men actually gained jobs compared to women. So it's pretty disproportionate. And on top of that, it goes to um, goes on to say that blacks and latinas lost jobs in no, in December, while white women made significant gains. So 140,000 jobs, net, net, were lost, and all held by women. But on, by and large, those job losses impacted black women and latino women more than white women. So there's I mean all of these conversations are huge, right? Like there are a lot of things to break down in these facts and figures. So let's let's look at why this could be. Thinking about how the pandemic has impacted different sections or sectors of life. If we think about education, students have in some parts of the country remained going to school remotely and obviously not every kid can stay home by themselves i mean in that understanding of children there are also populations within the the total population of children who actually have special needs and need extra support that i would go to say go as far to say that people don't think about businesses don't think about caregivers and governments don't think about caregivers and i'll break down how i know that but coming back to this point, women, by and large, are are the, the people who are expected to be home with the kids. And whether that, that, that's a generalization, right? So sure, there could be men that are staying home with their kids. But if it's a single family home or a single parent home, I should say, and or the woman is in a less lucrative role, which we already know that women are making less on the dollar than men. And in a previous episode of this podcast, I've broken down some other, I mean, that's a huge topic, right? And it's not just because women are women and men are men, like there's so much that goes into that. But thinking about, you know, overall compounding loss of income for women because of maternity leaves and things like that, women are disproportionately affected in the workplace because they are most often going to be the ones who say, okay, I'm going to take a step back, I'm going to stay home, or I need to be the one home because you, partner X, are making more, whatever that could look like. I don't want to generalize because I know that there are also uh, non-heterosexual couples that this is a different kind of impact, right? But really when we look at it overall, on average, the the impact of this jobs report is really understanding how women have been affected by the pandemic. So we also know that the pandemic has required companies to allow flexibility in sick leave, taking time off, being flexible for a work schedule and things like that. And in some sectors of industry, sick leave is not available. So in in my experience, I've worked for companies that have been very generous and continue to work for a company that's been very generous with sick time, but there are industries that don't provide sick time to part-time employees, that don't provide additional sick time or opportunities to have flexible working schedules depending on the industry even to full-time employees. So sick leave obviously is granted by the government, everyone in the US is entitled to 40 hours of sick time. However, 40 hours doesn't cut it when we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? So what have companies done to ensure that employees can take the time that they need or to support the people who are in need of their care? So their children or their spouses or their family members. And so we saw in the beginning, or really in the beginning, I should say, of the pandemic in 2020, the FFCRA, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, gave people and businesses the opportunity to have more flexibility and more access to coverage um, as it relates to any COVID-related need to be absent, whether it was for self-illness or personal illness or um, a child, spouse, or immediate family member. I I told you that I would come back to this point on how I am aware of companies and the government not considering the special needs population. And this is because my sister, my older sister, has special needs. She has Down syndrome. She is the light of my life. Um, And I actually, I think I've posted about this on Instagram that, you know, I have someone in my life who, when the pandemic really first took the U.S. by storm, was really the only person I was thinking about. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, God forbid she cannot get this. Like, We need to figure out everything that we can to support her and make sure that she stays healthy. And so to make a long story short, I am one of her legal caregivers as well as my younger sister, who is also a legal caregiver to my older sister. And um, my parents are around, thank God, you know, but they have, it's been really challenging. And what I'll say or what I'll share is that my sister had a very, serious health scare. I can't even believe I'm talking about this right now because I really haven't talked about it probably at all, except for with a couple of friends, my fiance and my family, and I still haven't processed it and we're working on that in therapy, okay? People, we're working on it. Anyway, in 2019, at the very end of 2019, which we now know that there was a COVID case in the US at the end of 2019, so this will all make sense, hopefully. I don't wanna sound like a conspiracy theorist, but you know, we'll get there. She had a super, super serious health scare. I was working pretty much from the hospital um, in order to support my parents, and I, to this day, am so grateful to my um, to my boss and my employer for giving me the space and the opportunity to put my family first. Anyway, she was in the hospital for about um, six weeks, and I, I'm putting a trigger warning in the episode notes for this, because I realized that some people are still kind of going through similar situations, but she was intubated and uh, for a very long time. And so when COVID, you know, she, thank God, like got better. My mom was on FMLA, like she, because you you know, with, maybe you don't know when someone has special needs and my sister's cognitive level is not uh, aligned with her age. um, So she really needs advocacy. She needs someone there 24 seven. So we were at the hospital, Twenty four seven. I was doing the overnight shift most of the time into the day, um, so that I could be there overnight. Because what like parent can sleep in a hospital chair, right? Like so, I'm like, okay, I'm in my twenties. Let me do it. And so, as a family, we've always throughout my whole life. Because you know, I grew up with my sister. Obviously, throughout my whole life, we've always come together as a family to deal with these things together. Anyway, so that's a little bit more about me. Now you know, um, she was intubated. She by truly, I'm not just exaggerating this, by a miracle, survived. And um, I'm going to need a break after this episode, I think. Anyway, uh, when she was able to come home, my mom still needed to care for her. And, you know, my dad is the breadwinner out of my parents and my mom worked in a hospital at the time and she was you know given pretty much some flexibility because she had the FMLA so she had 12 weeks of coverage to be able to be with my sister so she did she stayed with my sister I was able to return to the office and fast forward now it's February 2020 and We know that things are starting to get real on the COVID front. So when my sister was in the hospital, that was really like October, November. Um, And now we understand that there was a COVID case in the U.S. And so now we're thinking, like, was that COVID? I don't know. Who, Who knows, right? Again, not a conspiracy podcast, not a conspiracy theorist. Fast forward, it's February 2020. Now it's March 2020. And we're in lockdown. And my mom is an essential worker because she worked in the hospital. So she was already back at work and she was working. Um, And she had been back at work since January because my sister was doing really well. So I, when I, when we started to work remotely, I started to stay home with my sister and I was working while also taking care of her and making sure that she you know, everything was under control. She has other medical issues that, you know, needed support on and um, her program was closed because she did go to a day program and because of the pandemic, everything was closed. So now fast forward again, it's April or May, 2020. And I'm like, you know, I need to kind of get back to a normal kind of circumstance. And so um, basically my mom then said to her employer, I need to have some flexibility. You know, it's too its too risky for me to be in the hospital and come back to my daughter who has underlying conditions that could be exacerbated by COVID. Um, and basically, you know, my sister had ARDS when she was in the hospital because of being intubated on, on a ventilator. So ARDS is acute respiratory distress syndrome. And we know from COVID that that is one of the biggest things to come out of COVID. And so you can imagine, I don't even think I have to break this down. You can imagine the feeling that my family was just experiencing while my mom was still working in a hospital where there were COVID patients. So my mom said, Hey, I'm going to need to take a leave of absence and I know it's going to be unpaid. And that obviously is really significant, right? Because now there's a loss of income on the family. So thinking through the impact of the jobs report, let's put it all into, into a frame of reference here. There's, there's the first stage of the impact, right? The, the, woman, my mom in this case, is impacted by not having a lot of flexibility. She's used all of her sick time. She's used FMLA. If you're familiar with FMLA, it's, it's only for one year. So you can use 12 weeks, but it's, you can break it up and it's intermittent or you use all 12 weeks and she would not have received any more FMLA until November, 2021, because she already used it all through, I think, December. So actually it would have been December, 2021, I guess. Anyway, So her employer was like, okay, no problem. Unpaid leave of absence, great. Just pay for your benefits. No problem. That's pretty common. So, you know, we're moving through. We're good. My sister's good. My dad's good. My other sister's good. My mom's good. Fast forward, it was sometime in the summer of 2020, and my mom's employer was like, you need to come back from a leave or we're going to terminate your employment. Yes, I did just say that. And I said, this makes no sense. They can fill your role. Like they can, they can, they have an open position already. So they can fill your role with a temp or they can fill your role with per diem or whatever they want to do, right? Like there are options there. This doesn't seem fair considering we're in the middle of a pandemic and you would be eligible for FMLA had you not already used it. And, um, you know, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, does um, provide, you know, conversation around, like, caregivers and what caregivers need as far as support goes. But what I will say is that when we think about, like, caregivers as a protected class, there really isn't a lot of flexibility for them to be protected by uh, antiquated policies in business. So, for example... In my mom's hospital, it's antiquated, right? They have a super old handbook. It's just like here's your sick time, here's your vacation, you know, have at it. But when it comes to caregivers who by and large are out of the workplace much more frequently, who probably need more than twelve weeks of FMLA in a year, there are no resources for them. And the government does not think about caregivers. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the FFCRA, the Families First Coronavirus Act great. It's a great program. And it's been a great program or was a great program, but there was no extra support for caregivers who had already used their FMLA. So there was already an inequity here. Um, And I share this story because I don't think my mom is alone. I don't think we're alone. Ultimately what happened is that my mom was terminated and she had been at that hospital for over 10 years. So I haven't shared this yet because I kind of was trying to figure out a way to talk about it but you know thinking about the inequity there right like she's paying her benefits there's no loss to the to the hospital for keeping her on an unpaid leave certainly if she was on an unpaid leave and and uh my sister's program was open totally termination is warranted because she should be back right but my sister and we know in the state of New Jersey New York and many other states programs were still not open by the summer and as a matter of fact they, my sister had a note saying, you can't go back to the program until you're vaccinated um, or unless we can determine that it's safe for you to return. So overall, her employer really, you know, did her dirty, as I would say. I don't think that I would ever handle a situation in that way. If And actually, I spoke with my colleague who has a personal situation similar to mine and I was like, would we, ever, would we ever do this? Like in the HR function, would we ever say your, your daughter or whomever you're caring for is unable to go back to their program? Um, and so I, I recognize that you can't work, but we have to terminate your employment because you can't work. And we both were like, no, we would never do that. So I really can relate to this jobs report because women disproportionately were pushed out of the workforce, and when I first mentioned um, the sick leave and the flexibility around that, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Some industries don't have flexibility around giving people—I uh, guess it is just the flexibility to manage their schedules or you know work when they can. Or especially in the pandemic, for caregivers for people who experienced illness or were caring for someone with illness, I mean, 12 weeks might not cut it. Right. Forty hours of of sick leave might not cut it even outside of FFCRA and FFCRA expired just like FMLA. So now what? And so I'm not surprised by the jobs report at all. Um, But I, I again, I share this story because. Um, I haven't shared it before, actually with anyone other than like my close circle, because you know i I think that sometimes when you hear you know someone was terminated, you think, oh, there's another side of the story, we're not getting the full picture, maybe she wasn't a poor, maybe she wasn't a good performer. That is not it. My mom was kicked out of the workforce because her hands were tied like that's that's just it and you know, my mom was like, listen, it is what it is. I'll, I'll go back to, you know, I'll go back to things when I can. And it goes to show you that it's just, some things are just unfair. And even for someone like me in HR, it's funny because someone that I shared the story with in my inner circle, they were like, does, does her employer know that you work in HR? And I'm like, probably, but that doesn't matter because they still clearly are not considering their own employees. So like, what am I going to do about it? I'm, I'm going to teach them how to care or demonstrate a bit more consideration. I don't know. Certainly, and this is one of the other topics that I wanted to talk about, was accommodation. And so in, in 2020, my mom was accommodated, for example, by having that unpaid leave. And she could have continued to be accommodated. And she would have been able to return probably this month because my sister's been vaccinated, thank God. But it goes to show you, you know, this is someone who is top talent with them over a decade. And um, that's where the policies or, you know, the, the accommodation they felt was unreasonable. Um, and so when we think about accommodations, employers do have a responsibility to reasonably accommodate. So what does that mean? That means that an employer needs to evaluate an employee's request and determine, like, if this comes up again, can we, you know, this is a precedent we're setting. Can we make this accommodation for everyone else? So most of the time we see accommodations in um, pregnancies, for example, or broken limbs or workers' compensation situations. Um, Now, because of COVID and because of, you know, my mom's caregiver status, for example, there was a different kind of accommodation being requested that probably isn't often requested, but I would imagine that there were many accommodations requested when, people's children were not returning to school. So in this case, my mom is a caregiver for someone who is or has special needs. But in most cases, people are requesting accommodation as a result of these school closures because of needing to be home while their child is going to remote learning, let's say. And we can see from the jobs report, even in January 2021, that there were even more jobs lost by women, held by women. So um, actually, specifically, women accounted for 80% of adults who stopped working or were looking for work in January 2021. So we know that this problem continues to persist. The government hasn't necessarily stepped in to offer additional resources because I get it. You know, there's a lot that the government has to think about and really it probably is on the employer, but the employer also is not potentially not thinking about the impact of the pandemic on home life for women, especially. So I know I'm kind of getting on a tangent here, but I would encourage all employers to consider accommodating people who are requesting these, um, again, lack of a better term, accommodations for things that are outside of their control. If someone's program or school is closed and they're doing remote learning or they just can't go in because of underlying health conditions, the employer really has an obligation to reasonably accommodate. And I would argue in a time like 2021 where technology is at our fingertips, those accommodations are pretty reasonable unless there is a reason that you know the person can't engage in remote work. In my mom's case, while she's considered an essential worker, she really wasn't because she's not a doctor and she's not a nurse. She's really auxiliary staff or was auxiliary staff in the hospital. And other hospitals have instituted remote working environments for people in her position. So I call BS personally on that whole situation. But we, you know, it is what it is where we uh, we close that chapter of the book. So for women similar to or unlike my mom, who have lost their jobs as a result of needing to be home or not having accommodations available to them, not having flexibility, um, I see you. I, I think that this all will be um, really interesting as we tie into next week's episode about wellness and DE&I being a path to harmony. And I say that because actually one of the biggest takeaways that I've had from my conversation with Yeti and Christina, who you'll hear from next week, is that organizations care about DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it started with just diversity. And we talk about this actually on next week's episode anyway the biggest takeaway that I had is that, yeah, a company, an organization can care about de and and focus on, on, uh, amplifying voices and, and bringing people from all groups into the organization. But if the structure isn't there to support them, there's, it's no good. So in my mom's case, I think about that. Great. She's a woman. She's has over 30 years of experience in mental health. Like that was her, that was her career. And yet, as a caregiver, as someone whose job doesn't stop from nine to five, like it's not just that her job continues when she gets home. There were no resources for her. There were no accommodations for her. There was no flexibility for her because everything was exhausted. Her FMLA was exhausted and they couldn't figure out a way to accommodate a top performer who had a lot of loyalty and tenure. And so, you know, There was an end of the road there. So I'm sure that my mom is not alone. And we know that in the 80% of jobs that were lost in January as a result of really women being pushed out of the workforce, um, that that's probably continuing to be true. And I I think about this in the sense of, are women going to be set back? How do we as employers ensure that we are creating those environments, workplaces, and Um, functions of the business that allow for women to get back into the workforce, to stay in the workforce, and to be successful, accommodated, and to have the flexibility that they need in order to be more successful. And I think the same goes for men. If a man is a caregiver or um, a single parent, they need just the same amount of flexibility. And I think that there's, you know, there's an argument here to be made that what exists today doesn't work. And businesses need to think about their accommodations and their considerations for employees differently, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, good God, how are we even having this conversation, right? Like, I, I, clearly, there are companies not doing the right thing. So with that, um, clearly, the impact of COVID continues. And we all have an obligation, whether we're in decision-making positions or not, to ensure that we're supporting each other. It doesn't matter what our gender is, we have to support each other, we have to get through this together, and we need to be a little bit more innovative. Hello, to end someone's employment because they need to be home, like give them a computer and slap a VPN on it, right? Like, let's get remote from work to be uh, an accommodation, let that be an accommodation forever. It should be, I think, anyway. I shared a lot of personal stories with you today. Thank you for allowing me the safe space to share that. Um, If you have a similar situation or if you've, you know, if this episode has resonated with you at all, please know that you can obviously find an open door with me and I'd love to hear from you. As always, again, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And I will see you next week for a really, really riveting discussion on Wellness DE and I and again it will be on YouTube and all the podcast channels. Thank you so much. See you next week.